This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today, Parsha uh, Vayishlach, and the messages for us in the Parsha. What messages, what can we learn from this week's Parsha? So one of the topics I picked is uh, how to reconcile differences. And this is one of the themes in the Parsha, but it's not the only thing which I'm going to discuss uh, right now. And that is, uh, there's many other topics as well. One of the major themes also is the fight with Yaakov, with the spiritual being. And we have to discuss that. So let's just basically uh, recap a little bit. Uh, let's generalize and say there are three basic kinds of people. There are three basic kinds of people. One is a person with a very spiritual bent, who is uh, looking for spirituality, looking for Hashem, looking for God. Number two is the other extreme, a person with a very materialistic uh, bent, looking for every physical comfort and pleasure of this world. And even at the expense of the next world, which we, okay, we can, you can try and define these two. One is Yaakov and one is Esau. Hey, Yaakov is this one with a spiritual bent. Esau is the one with a very materialistic bent. And there are those that combine the two. And that's something which we have to talk about as well. Was Yaakov of the first type or Yaakov of the third type? Was Yaakov the one with the spiritual bent, totally devoted to Hashem? Well, we see that Yaakov Abinu was Ishtam Yosheva Alim. That's how he started off the first 84 years of his life. 14 years he spent in the yeshiva, going to the Midrash of Shem and Ever. But then after that, he goes to Lavan. And he seems to adapt into becoming a different character, more physical more earthy, more grounded, more materialistic character. And we talked about that last week. And he is a synthesis. Yaakov Abinu now is a synthesis between the spiritual and the physical. He becomes the ladder. He becomes the ladder. That was his dream, the ladder to heaven. He becomes the ladder. He is now the ladder. Uh, the synthesis between the physical and the spiritual. He himself becomes the ladder, joining the physical world to the spiritual world. That is, that is really our ideal. Our ideal as Jews is to join the two, is to combine the physical and the spiritual with a synthesis and try and join. Raise the material to the spiritual level and bring spirituality down. So that's the two things we are meant to do in our prayers. We said one of the definitions of the ladder is prayer. Prayer is our prayers going up and triggering God's energy coming down. So one of the things we do is try and link the two worlds, the spiritual and the physical world, so those are the three types of people. We, we all try and be the third type. Yes, we're meant to be spiritual. And we have to do tikkun olam. We have to do fix this world as well. So we have to bring the spiritual spirituality down into this world and raise the materialism back up. So even though Yaakov and Esau were twins from the same parents, which is amazing to think about it, how different they were in looks, in character, in temperament, and we said, we talked about their names, how their names uh, symbolize their temperament. Yaakov is from the heel, the end person. He's willing to sacrifice the here and now for the future. And Esau is Asui. He wants the here and now. Give it to me and I want it. I want it now. Give me, give me, give me. I want it now. So the name Yaakov is Eke. We talked about he's a quieter. He was more thoughtful. He was simpler in, in the good sense of being complete. And he was willing to sacrifice the present physical and material pleasure for eventual spiritual fulfillment. And the Torah tells us Esau hated his birthright. So it doesn't refer to his physical birthright because he wanted as much physical blessing as he could get from his father. 
but he hated his spiritual birthright. He despised his spiritual birthrights. He was not spiritually inclined at all, and he was willing to set it for Bolusuk. That was the difference between Esau and Yaakov. Yaakov yearned for the spiritual heritage of his father. He split his spirituality first, hence his willingness to sacrifice for the spiritual birthright, because he realized money by itself has no value, which we're going to talk about this week, Parasha, is really burying that out. He, Yaakov is a multi-millionaire. He comes back from Lavan. He made a fortune, sheep and cattle, we're going to see. He gave gifts to his brother. He's willing to give everything to Esau to placate his brother, Esau. Money has no value. It's what you get out of it. It's a tool to be used in this world. And that was Yaakov's vision of money and physicality is a tool to be used in this world for good. And if it's going to get him back into the good grace of his brother, it's going to pacify his brother. He's willing to give all his money to his brother. I'm going to talk a bit about that as well. How it's important. Peace in the family is so critical, so important. And uh, that's, that's this week's parasha. It's one of the themes of the parasha is making peace and getting along, even if the only way to get along is to separate, but to separate on good terms, on speaking terms. And that's what Yaakov and Esau did. They separated in a brotherly kind of fashion. It was not a fight. It was not uh, a cutoff completely. It was a brotherly uh, fashion separate. So Yaakov, we talked about, the story of the Sailor Birthright took place in their very early age of their lives. They were only 15 years old, the Midrash says. Yaakov was willing to forego his delicious meal for some intangible spiritual benefit. Esav, his stomach came first. And in our lives, we all have priorities. We have to judge what are we going to do. Uh, let me give you an example. A person comes home late from work and he's tired, exhausted, and it's time for Shir. Is he going to go to Shir and sacrifice his meal? It's time for Mincha or Mariv or Arvid. Is he going to go and sacrifice or going to just eat first and sacrifice the spirituality? So these are, these are questions that come up in our lives. Would we sacrifice our dinner for spirituality for sure or sacrifice the sheer for our dinner? That's, that's the kind of level we're on. That's the kind of deal that we have to think about when we think of Yaakov and Esau. What are we willing to sacrifice for spirituality? So Yaakov was no ascetic. We've got to realize that. It's, it may have sounded in the beginning he was an ascetic. He was a very practical person. He worked hard for his father-in-law, Lavan, in order to get married. So it's interesting because this idea of marriage and family is really one of the key roles of Yaakov, really, which is not really talked about that much. I'm going to talk about it, but it's rather share with this class, how Yaakov and Esav had two different perspectives about children. And when the Esau sees Yaakov and he sees all the kids and his wives, he says, who are all these? Like, you're a spiritual being. I thought you were a spiritual person. Why do you need all these physical appendages? Why do you need children? Children are not idea of spirituality. And Esau can't understand why spiritual a person would want to get married, have children. It's interesting because Esau is the representative of Rome. And we know Roman Catholicism is a similar idea. Why would a spiritual person want to get married and have kids? Yeah, what's, what's, what's spirituality got to do with raising children or having a family? Spirituality is a monastic experience. And that's what Esau thought. Esau said to Yaakov, who are all these to you? What are you doing with a family? What are you doing with kids? That's not the way of a spiritual person. I thought you were a spiritual person after the spiritual world. And yet you're having so many kids in your marriage and these women. 
What are you doing? That's my job. That's, that's what Esau does. He collects the Arab of women. And you, Yaakov, are following in my path. What are you doing with children? He didn't realize that the way to spirituality is through family. The way to spirituality is through a spouse. The way to God is by knowing what love is, by knowing what care is, by knowing what sacrifice is. And if we don't practice on human beings, we will never get to the final destination. Well, I'm not saying, I'm generalizing. There are ways, obviously, there are people who don't have children, there are people who are not married and very spiritual. But it's an ideal, it's a Jewish ideal, the mitzvah proof, the mitzvah to have children, the mitzvah to get married. It's a very heavy mitzvah, it's a very strong mitzvah. Why? The Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur had to be married. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest on Yom Kippur had to be married, and that's something Esau can't understand. We have to discuss that a bit more in detail. But let's start the story. So Yaakov Avinu now is going home. He is going back to his parents, who he hasn't seen for 20 years. It's going to take him 22 years to see his parents. And the rabbis say, yes, uh, 22 years he stayed away from his parents. And that's the reason why Yosef was gone from him for 22 years. Quid pro quo. He left his parents for 22 years, even though he had a good reason. Had to go find a wife, uh, whatever. And maybe the first seven years, he could have explained away. 14 years, but 20 years, he stayed away from his parents and he never saw his mother again. He never saw Rivka again. He left her. She sent him away and he never saw her again. Maybe that's also a kind of poetic justice that she sends him away. She caused the rift between him and his brother, in a sense. And she never saw him again. And uh, she predicted just like I will be, uh, if you stay and you both fight, maybe I'll be, lose you both on the same day. She predicted this kind of loss on the same day. It says that both Yaakov and Esau were buried on the same day. They were buried on the same day. In Machpelah, Esau's head rolled in. So let's talk about that some other time. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, this story is an amazing story. And what's, let's just read a little bit from the Chumash. So Yaakov, uh, sends messengers ahead of him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, which is a big co- controversy. The rabbis in the Midrash land based Yaakov here. The dog is sleeping, the lion is sleeping, Esau is sleeping, and you send messengers to Esau. Hey, Esau, wake up, I'm coming home. You get him aroused. Why do you have to do that? Just let Esau be. Esau's in peace. Esau's quiet. Esau's in the land of Seir, far away. Leave him alone. Yaakov is not willing to leave him alone. Yaakov wants to make amends to Esau. Yaakov wants to do teshuva in a sense. This is, this is Yaakov's teshuva. This is something we don't point out enough. Yaakov Avinu is doing teshuva by taking Esau's bracha, and he's going to give it back. We're going to talk about how Yaakov is going to give back the bracha. Let's see. So this is, he charges all these messengers going to see Esau with tremendous gifts. To my Lord, to Esau, so says your servant Yaakov. Look at, the, look at the language used. How many times Yaakov uses this word? So says your servant, Yaakov, many times, over and over again. My Lord, my master, Esau. You are the master. I acknowledge you as my master. The bracha of my father did not come true. I am your servant. You are not my servant. I am your servant. You are my master. I become very wealthy. And I'm sending gifts to my master, to my Lord, to find favor in your eyes. And the messengers came, the terrible news. They came to your brother Esav, and he's coming this direction with 400 men. He's coming towards you, Yaakov. 
what is Yaakov's reaction? But Yirai Yaakov, and Yaakov got terrified. He got very scared. He got very distressed. So what does he do? His famous uh, Rashi, famous Midrash, he prepares for three different eventualities. He prepares, he divides the people with him and the cattle and the herds and the flocks into two camps. And he says, if Esau comes to one camp and strikes it down, the remaining camp will survive. The rabbis put this in perspective. He's prepared for war. He prepared, Yaakov is prepared to fight his brother. He awoke the lion. The lion is coming towards him with 400 men. And he is terrified. And he's now being practical. He's the practical Yaakov. What does a practical man do? Well, number one is prepare for war. Prepare, have a good air force, have a good army, have a good navy. Prepare for war. Yaakov Avinu. And then, number two, he prays. He says, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Yitzhak. Now, this is interesting because this is the opposite of our Shmona Esrei. How does our Shmona Esrei, the Amida, start off? Elokeinu, our God. And then God of our fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. It's interesting because the Baal Shem Tov says there's two paths to God. One is through our forefathers and one is through our own path. And Elokeinu is the critical, that's the higher level, much higher level. We first, we say, okay, our God, he's our God. You are our God. You are a personal God. And then we say, but that's not enough, Hashem. Please don't forget you are the God of our fathers. Remember our history. Remember our family history. We have a family history going back thousands of years of relationships with you. So we, if our, my relationship with you is not good enough, please remember my family relationship with you. So, but whereas over here, if you look at the, the, the Torah portion over here, you'll see that Yahweh says, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Yitzhak. And then he says, Hashem, who said to me, return to your land and to your relatives. Right? So he puts God of my father before me. Now, it could be saying out of humility, but we're going to see that when does Yaakov say that you are my God? We're going to come to it in this week's parasha. So it's, it looks like an evolution of Yaakov's spirituality. Yaakov, I mean, it's climbing the ladder of spirituality, climbing the ladder of relationship with Hashem. He's going up from a relationship based on his parents' relationship, his grandfather's relationship, and he's now going to make it his own personal relationship with Hashem. And he prays, right? Rescue me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Save me from him if he acts like a brother. And save me from him when he's acting like an enemy, like Esau, a classic Esau. So the rabbis explain, save me from him when he's acting like a brother, which means from intermarriage, from assimilation. And save me from him when he's acting like Esau, the enemy. Save me on two different ways. Rescue me, please. And you promised me that you're going to help me. So what happens is, he spends a night, and then he gives gifts, right? So three things he does is, he is ready for war, he's praying, and he's sending gifts as well to placate his brother. And it talks about he spends the night there, and he, he's, he's uh, separating all the gifts from his brother. And every time he tells his servants, you will bring, you will bring it to my brother Esau. And if he asks who you are, say it's a servant, Jacob's, and it's a tribute sent to my lord, to Esau. And behold... Yaakov is right behind us. And he tells the second camp and the third camp and then puts them in, in sections. Why? The rabbis say this is 
good psychology. If you want to calm someone down, don't give him one big present. Give him many small presents. Every time he gets another present, he's calming down again and again. So uh, a few presents is better than one big one. The Ramam says this in laws of tzedakah. When you give charity, it's better to give many small gifts of tzedakah, of charity, not one big one. Why? Because when you give many small ones, you are adjusting yourself. You're training yourself to give. You become a giver. You give one, it's, it's like a flash in the pan. So give many small ones. It's better than one big one. Divide it up. Give it over time and don't give it all at once. Uh, interesting perspective. But here it's an opposite kind of perspective. It's the receiver's perspective. A person likes to receive gifts. So many small gifts pacifies much more than one big gift. Interesting psychology over here. So this is the topic tonight. How do you placate an enemy? How do you placate someone? This is really the, the text. This is the go-to text, how to placate enemies. So first is, number one is, you, if you can't trust someone, get ready for war. But don't put that right in the front. Put that right behind. That's, that's the last thing you want to do, fight. The last thing you want to do is fight. Number one is give gifts and pray hard and then get ready. Get ready at the back. Get ready for the last, uh, the, the terrible eventuality of war. That's a terrible thing. So what happens is, Yaakov Avedo, he gets up that night, he takes his two wives, his two handmaids, his 11 sons, and crosses the stream of the Yabok, which is amazing uh, Kabbalah over here, this word Yabok. And when he took them and he had them cross over the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And Yaakov was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. This is, this is the... This is the amazing uh, story over here. What's going on over here? What is, who is this man? Let's say it was an angel, even though the prophet later on, I think Hoshea, uh, talks about an angel for our grandfather, Yaakov. So he, in the Torah, it's not referred to as an angel, but obviously it was an angel because who can change Yaakov's name and gives him a new name of Yisrael? And then Yaakov says, I saw Hashem face to face. It wasn't Hashem, it was an angel. So the text does not say explicitly it was an angel, but eventually we understand it was an angel. Yaakov is left that night alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he perceived he could not overcome Yaakov, he struck the socket of his hip. So Yaakov's hip socket was dislocated and he wrestled with him. And then the man says, let me go for dawn has broken. And Yaakov says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Now, this is not something you ask for a human being. Imagine uh, the two a prize fighter is a fighting in the ring, and one guy holds the other guy down, and the guy and he says, I won't let you go till you bless me. <laughs> you don't see that very often. So this happened over here with Yaakov. Who is Yaakov asking for a blessing? And the answer, it must be an angel. You don't ask regular people you're fighting at night for a blessing. And he said to him, what is your name? And he replies, Yaakov. He says, your name is not going to be Yaakov anymore. It's going to be Israel." Now, what does Yisrael mean? He explains for you, have striven with the divine and with man and have overcome. And Yaakov says, what is your name? He says, why do you need to know my name? And he blessed them there. So Yaakov called the name of his Peniel. I've seen the divine face to face. My life is spared. The sun rose for him as he passed Peniel. He was limping on his hip. And therefore, the Jewish people do not eat the sciatic nerve which is a Gid HaNasheh because of this event. So it's something which we 
discuss and talk about and we keep this mitzvah of the sciatic nerve. That's why you don't see much kosher T-bone steak because to take out that nerve is such a pain. It goes right through the leg, right from the hip down into the leg and it's hard to cut out that, that nerve. So it's called porging. There's a whole science of porging to get out that nerve to eat the T-bone steak. Anyway, so uh, let's go through this amazing vision Yaakov Avinu's vision, and there's a lot of different explanations. What is this vision? And what is this vision referring to? And one of the answers is this is referring to the night is always referring to exile. We talked about last week how Yaakov Avinu is the forefather who is uh, started off the prayer of the night. And night is refers to exile. And this is history. This is Jewish history. The exile is going to be brutal for Jews. The exile was brutal and is continuing to be brutal. And during the exile, we lost a lot of people. And that was the symbol of the angel fighting Yaakov all night. Night represents exile. And he dislocates his leg, which means there's a tremendous loss. He can barely walk. The Jewish people will barely survive. We barely survived exile. We barely survived for 2,000 years of exile. So this barely surviving is... This idea uh, of uh, the, the fight of Yaakov Avinu at night. So, uh, so similarly, Sforno says this, uh, the rabbi Sforno, who was a Spanish commentator on the Chumash. He said, Hashem dispatched the angel to pave the way for the ultimate salvation of Yaakov and his descendants. Just as Yaakov was temporarily injured in the struggle, but prevailed and went on to great accomplishments, the Jewish people will suffer tremendous losses in the future, but will emerge with even greater victories and blessings. This is a Sforno written about 800 years ago. Amazing prediction based on this week's Parsha. So who is this angel? Who is this person? Rashi says this angel was the angel of, of Esau. In other words, just like there's physical war in, on this world, in this dimension, there's a spiritual world, a world above in which the similar things are going on at the same time. So Yaakov is fighting two fights. He's fighting a physical fight with Esau down below, but he also has to cope with Esau's angel up above. There's a physical fight and a spiritual fight. We don't, you know, we don't pay attention. We're, we're, we're not used to looking at multi-dimensions at the same time. Our commentators could look at multi-dimensions, and the Torah itself tells us that this multi-dimension is... This, uh, the, the fight below is just a sign of a fight above. If the angels above are fighting us, then obviously then the physical world is also going to be fighting us. So how does a person reconcile? Yaakov has to reconcile both dimensions. He has to reconcile on the dimension above, which is Esau's angel. Who is Esau's angel? So the rabbis say, Rashi says, this was the Satan himself. The evil angel who was Esau's angel. is representative, the spiritual representative of Esau. And Yaakov is fighting. Now the question is, why did this angel attack Yaakov and not Abraham or Yitzhak? Why only Yaakov? Why pick on Yaakov? Why pick on number three? Pick on number one. Pick on Abraham much greater. Abraham Avinu symbolized chesed. Angels should attack chesed. Angel does not attack chesed. This is a famous Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim said this. And uh, he says, the angel didn't attack Yitzhak. Yitzhak symbolizes Gura, which is might, which is self-control. The angel didn't attack it. He attacked Yaakov. What does Yaakov symbolize? Titan emet Yaakov. Hashem gave truth to Yaakov. What is truth Torah? The angel is scared of Torah study. 
the most the most frightening thing for this evil angel is Torah study. He attacked the symbol of Torah study, which is Yaakov Avinu. He attacked him. That symbolizes. That's an amazing idea. If that angel is attacking Yaakov, it's a sign that that's the most dangerous thing for the angel. That's something which we ourselves have to be engaged in all the time. So that is an interesting Chavetz Chaim. I just want to tell you what he says exactly. The evil inclination doesn't mind, but you fast, praise, and give charity all day long, provided he does not study Torah. Abraham represented kindness. Yitzhak represented service. Kindness and service are two of the three indispensable pillars of the world in Pirkei Avot, chapter one, two. But the third pillar, Torah, is the crucial one for Israel's success in carrying out its mission on earth. Jacob represented Torah, and without it, Israel will fail. You know, that's amazing. We're coming up to Hanukkah, and that is purely Hanukkah's story. The Greeks try to break us. How do they try and break us? They try to break us by stopping us learning Torah. Very simple, doing mitzvot, critical mitzvot, and learning Torah. They realize, just like the angel in this, in this story, attack Torah, attack Yaakov Avinu. And where we, 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 we remain loyal to the Torah, we survive. That is the trick. The trick is remaining loyal to the Torah, we survive. So now it's interesting because there's an amazing Rashbam I want to share with you on this parasha. The Rashbam was the grandson of Rashi. And Rashi was our famous biblical commentator from France, uh, from Worms. There's still a museum over there in Worms. You know, the Nazis destroyed the synagogue and they rebuilt it. The French rebuilt it. It's uh, one of the sites that, the, you know, the tourists go to uh, in, uh, in a place called Worms that in France on the border with Germany. And that's where Rashi lived. And that's where his grandsons uh, took over. When Rashi passed away, he had sons, he had daughters. He had three daughters, and they provided him with beautiful grandchildren. And the grandchildren took over from Rashi. They helped him in his old age, and then they took over his yeshiva. And they're known today as the Bale Tosfot. The uh, writers of the commentary on the, on the Gemara called Tosfot, most of them were descendants of Rashi and his students. So Rashi had a tremendous impact on Torah learning around the world. The Rashbam, which is uh, Rashi's grandson, um, and he has an amazing, amazing, uh, amazing uh, the discussion over here. Who was this? Who was this stranger? So the Rashbam has an amazing idea over here. Now, you won't find this in many uh, places. This is, this is the Rashbam's uh, revolutionary ex- explanation. He says, Yaakov Avinu has a history. His history was, when you're in trouble, what do you do? Run. When you're in trouble with anyone, run away. The first time he was in trouble with Esav, wasn't just his idea, his parents also told him to leave, but he, he ran away. Then he has trouble with Lavan. After 20 years at Lavan, and he makes a fortune, and Lavan is going mad, and his children are going mad. Yaakov stole everything we have. What does Yaakov do? He runs away. Yaakov has a history of running. Rashbam says, what was Yaakov doing in the middle of the night crossing this river all by himself? So Rashbam says Yaakov was terrified. Yaakov was going to run away at the last minute. This is a wild wild kind of explanation. But listen, Rashbam has a history of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is known to run. When he's in trouble, he runs. So now he's terrified. He hears Esau coming 400 men. He prepares for war, he prays, and he divides his camp, and he's sending gifts, and yet he's still terrified of himself. Hashem sends an angel. That's what Rashbam says. Hashem sends the angel 
to stop Yaakov running away. Hashem wants Yaakov to meet up with Esav and finish and make peace with Esav and do teshuva with Esav. Hashem wants this open story closed. He wants the end to be a good ending with Esav. He wants to come full circle. He doesn't want Yaakov to run away and the story is just going to get prolonged enmity in the family. Prolonged. Esav hates Yaakov but it's going to continue. Uh, which, by the way, probably did anyway, but we tried our best. Yaakov tries his best, but he's got to be stopped. And how is he stopped? Now, that explains, Rashbam, according to Rashbam, fits in very nicely. Why did the angel hurt Yaakov's leg? And the answer is, how do you stop someone from running away? You immobilize them. You immobilize them, they can't run away. Yaakov can't run anymore. Yaakov goes back. But you know what? Yaakov now is a different person. Yaakov has faced his fears and fought them face to face. Yaakov had this, these fears. By the way, there's a massive debate over here between the Ramban, Nachmanides, and the Ramban. The Ramban says this actually did take place. There was a person, an angel, in a physical guise who fought with Yaakov in a physical fight. Ramban says angels don't fight with human beings on a physical level. This was a vision. It did happen, but it was a vision. So the question according to Ramban is, how does a person have a vision to wake up with, your, with a dislocated thigh? I'm sorry, people have nightmares, but they don't wake up with dislocated legs and thighs. So how, what happened at going to Rambam? So you have to say going to Rambam is psychosomatic. Yeah, Yaakov has this massive, terrible nightmare, this fight. And so, uh, and he wakes up with this terrible pain. And that, then the Torah is understood. Why? Because it says... When the Torah says, the sun rose for him and he was limping. But it seems like when the sun rose, it seems like he got better. Anyway, so it could be a quick round, but it's very good. So when he wakes up, he feels better because he realizes in a dream. Okay, but that's an interesting debate over here. Who was this being? We don't know. It was an angel. It was uh, was it a physical vision? Of, was it a was it a um, virtual vision? Uh, Ramon said virtual. It was because uh, he went to sleep. He had a vision, and he never actually fought with the angel. But the Ramban says he did fight. It was a physical fight, and he did got physically injured. And according to Rashbam, the angel was there to stop him running, which which fits in beautifully. And true enough, uh, according to Rashbam, it works very nicely. Yaakov doesn't run. So according to the other countries, it was either a vision of darkness, of despair, of exile. And this angel was the angel trying to kill Yaakov, trying to kill the Jewish people in exile. And, or it's a vision of the Satan, the Israel, attacking the learners of Torah. And, uh, or, so there's different ways of explaining this amazing vision, one of the visions of Yaakov. You know. uh, Yaakov has the best visions. I mean, it's a great vision that you have to the vision of the ladder, the vision of the angels, fight over oh, yeah. here. Amazing, amazing, beautiful stories in the Torah for us to understand and learn lessons from. That's, that's the trick. The trick is to learn lessons. And uh, until the break of dawn, he was fighting. Lekach Tov says, the angel of evil will fight Jacob's descendants throughout history. Until the dawn of salvation, until the messianic age, that's the dawn. And the angel cannot prevail. Why? Because Yaakov is clinging tenaciously to Hashem. That is the secret. The secret is a person says, you know, there's a beautiful story. 
it says, "En uh, milvado." There is no one else but Hashem. Of course, we always think. Rav Chaim Velazhin says in uh, in Nefesh Chaim, he says, if a person thinks "En od milvado," there is nothing. There is no other power in the world than God. Nothing can touch them. The most powerful thought a person can have. And all the battle, there's nothing in this world that can touch me apart from Hashem. Hashem is the only power in this world. And all the battle, and someone gave me a sticker. I put it on my fridge, and it's still in the park somewhere. I think on the fridge. But anyway, and all the battle, there's nothing else that can touch me. Nothing can touch you. There was a story. I think I can't remember the name of the rabbi in the Second World War. He got this instruction from his rabbi. If you see any Nazis around, just think this thought, and you'll escape, you'll get away. And true enough, he says, he was in the carriage and the train and the, the soldiers came to check his identity and he was terrified. And then he remembered at last minute, and they just walked past him. Yaakovina, what saved Yaakovina from this angel is, there's no other way. Clinging to Hashem, there's no other power on earth. So whatever scary things the person may see, terrifying thoughts and at night or in a dream, always think this thought, Hashem is the supreme power. There's nothing else. And then everything else disappears. All you'll see is there's nothing else but Hashem. That is the best way. So that is how Yaakov won. And then he says, I saw Hashem. I saw Hashem's face. How, what do you mean I saw Hashem's face? I saw a divine providence. There's no other way I could escape from that being. It must be only through Hashem. Now, it's my God. Before it's God of my father's, now it's mine. Hashem, I had a direct experience of Hashem. And he, his name has changed. No longer is it Jacob, Yaakov, but it's Israel. So now it's interesting because everyone else had a name change. A name, the former name was not allowed to be used again. Abraham, we're not allowed to say Abraham. We don't call him Abraham, we call him Abraham. We're not allowed to say Sarai. Her name was changed to Sarah. We don't say Hoshea, we say Yehoshua. His name was changed. Yaakov, his name was changed, but his old name stuck with him. He has both names. He has the Yaakov name and Israel name. And it's interesting, if you look, read through the Torah portions, you'll see when he's down and he's depressed, he's Yaakov. When, this, when the Yosef is gone, he's called Yaakov, Yaakov, Yaakov. Only when he hears that Yosef is alive, Straight away, the name changes to Israel. Israel is the higher name, and Yaakov is the lower name. When Yaakov is down and out, he's Yaakov. When he's up there in the clouds with the angels, he's Israel. He's a spiritual entity. He's Israel. He's fluctuating. He's going up and down the ladder. He's going up and down this emotional roller coaster. The spiritual high and spiritual lows. Yaakov is a spiritual low, and Israel is the spiritual high. So it's interesting, this flux of Yaakov Israel. And sometimes in our histories, we are Yaakov. When we're downtrodden, we're Yaakovs. And we're up there in the clouds, we are Yisrael. Nothing can touch us. And that's what the angel tells him. I'm going to call you Yisrael. Why? Because you have striven with the divine and with man and have overcome. You have overcome. You're already going to win with Esau now. This is guaranteed. Once you won the spiritual war, if we can win the spiritual battle with our Yitzhah, with our Ibn Yitzhah, we definitely win the physical battles. And that's a Gibor. A Gibor, we said, is a Gibor, a Kovesh, if you can fight those spiritual inside battles of control, of self-control, then the enemies will just fall away by themselves. If we can be really in control of ourselves, then our enemies will fall away from us.
And this is one of the messages of this week's parasha. But the dream is over now. And Yaakov raises his eyes. And who does he see? Esav is coming. And with him, 400 men. Now, in those days, 400 men was a tremendous army. You have to realize that. Avram Avinu fought a war with 318 men. And he beat the four kings. Who were the, who were the, that was the world war at that time. So 400 men is a vast quantity of people. A vast quantity of people in those days. And yes, Yaakov could have been really scared because Esau could have wiped him out with 400 men. Esau is coming straight away. What does he do? He divides his children among the mothers. He puts the handmaids and the children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Yosef last. Then he goes ahead of them and he bows down seven times. Look at that. This is... Why would you bow down? So again, the Midrash goes crazy over here. Yaakov, what are you doing? Uh, you're bowing down seven times. The Midrash says an amazing line. says, if you make yourself like a sheep, the wolf will eat you up. Why are you acting like a sheep? Why are you acting so docile, it's Yaakov? You're acting like a sheep. That's exactly what Esau likes. Esau likes sheep. He likes the hunt. You're just acting like a weakling. You know, it's interesting because we end up our prayers every day. Before Aleinu, Hashem oz le'amu yiten, Hashem yivarech et amu b'shalom. You know, one of the former chief rabbis of Israel, Bakshi Doron, I, I would go to these uh, conferences every year in Israel when he was the chief rabbi. He always said this in his speeches, like a, re- re- a recurring uh, phrase in his speech. The last line we say before Aleinu in our prayers is Hashem oz le'amu yiten, Hashem will give strength to his people, Hashem will bless his people with peace. So the rabbi explained, Rabbi Bakshi Doron, he said, only when we are strong will we be blessed with peace. First, Hashem will give us strength, and then people will make peace with us, because if we are weak, why would they make peace with us? They'll eat us up alive. So the secret of peace is strength. But it's got to project strength and power. Unfortunately, in our world, this, this crazy world, if you don't project power, you get no respect, especially Jewish people. You don't project power, you get no respect. So Hashem Oz, Hashem should give us strength, multiply our strength in every way, and Hashem will give us peace. And that's so that what is Yaakov Avinu doing? What is Yaakov? Yaakov Avinu should have his strong men in the front with the, with, the, with the swords and with the arrows and the bows and put the women and children in the back. No, he's putting the women and children in front. He's going in front, he's bowing down seven times. And but you know what? Hashem, he already won the spiritual battle. And Esau ran towards him, embraced him, fell upon his neck, and kissed him, and they went. So here's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. It seems, on the surface at least, it seems like they reconciled. The two brothers, after 22 years separation, are meeting each other and they're crying on each other's necks. Only problem is that in the in the text in the Torah itself, if you look at the good Humashim, you'll find when it says the word Vishakehu and they kissed him and Esau kissed it, Yaakov, it has dots on top. One, two, three, four, five, six dots on the word, and he kissed him. <laughs> There's a big debate in the Gemara what does that mean? And one opinion says he didn't really kiss him, he wanted to kill him, he wanted to bite him. Wanted to bite out his neck. Esau wanted to bite Yaakov's neck. And Hashem made a miracle. Yaakov's neck became hard like stone. And Esau's teeth broke. 
And Esau was crying from pain of his teeth breaking anyway. Interesting idea. Roshim Bar Yochai, the big Kabbalist, the author of the Zohar, Roshim Bar Yochai says in the Gemara, no, Esau did teshuva and he actually kissed Yaakov with a whole heart. When he saw Yaakov coming, he missed him, something, some brother in love was inside Esau and he kissed Yaakov and he really wanted to kiss him. Beautiful idea, this idea that they embraced each other and then this is what I want to talk about is Esau raises his eyes and he sees the women and children and he says, who are these to you? In other words, you Yaakov pretend to be the spiritual brother who always likes spirituality. What are you doing? Who's women? Is this your women? Are these your children? I thought you're a spiritual being. You're a monastic individual. What are you doing with a wife and children? So it's interesting that he didn't realize that you could be spiritual and married with children at the same time. It was unheard of. Even probably in those days, there was, there was a kind of monastic order in those days. We find this monastic order went right down through to the Essenes, the Jewish people before the Christians. Even. The Essenes were monastic. They never had wives and children. They believed spirituality was just purely separation and meditation. That was spirituality. Whereas Yaakov Avinu was, look what he tells Esav, he says, the children whom Hashem has graciously given your servants. What is going on over here? So Esav, it's interesting because uh, we Jews are always behind the times. When uh, people think children are good, uh, like in the time of Esav, Esau thinks children are good, but only on a physical level. Why? Because if you have a farm, you need farm hands. And if you have farm hands, you've got to pay them. But if you have children, they'll do the work for free. You don't have to pay your children. So that's why people in those days, they love to have kids. The more kids you have, the bigger your farm, the more money you would make, the bigger your corporation. And uh, that's, that's the advantage of having kids. But if you're a spiritual being, why do you want to have kids? You don't need a farm. You don't want to have such a, a lot of property. So that was Esau's question. Why would you, Yaakov, a spiritual individual, want so many children? And why do you have so many wives? That's not a spiritual endeavor, having wives and fooling around with women. That's not a spiritual endeavor, Yaakov. You're a spiritual being. I can because I'm not, I don't profess to be spiritual. So that was the question. And what does Yaakov answer? He says, the children who Hashem has given your servants. But you don't think children are spiritual. This is the secret of spirituality. Hashem gave me children. Hashem gave me wives. This is for my perfection. This is for the future of the Jewish people. We, I'm creating a spiritual empire. You're thinking of your physical empires. I'm creating a spiritual empire of believers who are going to believe in God and carry that belief through their DNA. It's an amazing concept, the idea of carrying our genes, our holy genes of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Goliath, through our genes, we are carrying their mission through our genes. Yemach Shemur Hitler said it the most, the best way. He said, even if you leave one child alive, one Jewish child alive, they'll bring back the whole situ, the whole of Judaism, they'll bring back. Just one Jewish child can bring back everything. That's in our genes. That is the purity of our forefathers as Rav Desta said, Zakut Avot is not the merit, not just the merit of our forefathers, it's Zakut. We're going to say in Hanukkah, Shemen Zayit Zach, the purity of the forefathers. It's in our genes. We are imbued with the genes, and this is what Yaakov is trying to produce. He's trying to produce. He saw Abraham Avinu converted so many people in Haran. 
But what happened to all those converts when his father Yitzhak took over? The converts disappeared. Yaakov Yitzhak says it's got to happen through family. You can't, you can't imbibe these values into strangers and hope that they stay with it. It's got to be done through genes. It's got to be done through your own children. You've got to make a family of people. You've got to make a nation of people who are believers in God, who truly believe in God. And even that was hard. That was hard. If you look at the books of the prophets and the Shoftim, you'll see how the Jewish people, you know, the only people in those days who believed in one God. And it's so hard to just keep that belief system alive. But somehow we did. It's a miracle. Somehow we did in an alien world, in an aggressive, anti-God world, we kept that belief of monotheism and ethical monotheism alive. It's a miracle. That's, what, that's the mission of Yaakov. You know, I'm going to build a nation of ethical monotheists because there's no other way. Quick conversions don't help. They don't, they don't, they're not truthful. They're not, not something you can pass down. So, so Esau says, why, why, what do you, will you give me all these gifts? What are all these? And he, he answers, uh, Yaakov answers, to gain favor in my Lord's eyes. I want to gain favor in your eyes. And Esau says famous words. Yesh li rab achi. I have a lot, my brother. I have a lot, my brother, Esau says. You keep what you have. Esau says, you know what? You gave me enough presents, my friend. This is it. You know, my brother. Look, my brother, you gave me a lot. I have enough, my brother. I have a lot, my brother. But Yomi Yaakov, and Yaakov pleads with him. I'm favoring your eyes. Take my, please, take my present from my hand. Because seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Now, this is, you know, it's going back to his dream the night before he saw the face of God. That's what he says. Seeing your face is like the face of God. Now, Rashi would say, this is beautiful. Why? Because the face he saw, the angel's face was Esau's face. That was the face of God that he saw. He was fighting that angel who looked like Esau. That was the angel of death he was fighting. <laughs> but you would say, and the face, and you, I will find favor in your eyes. Take my blessing, Yaakov says. I'm giving you back what I took from you. Take my blessing. That blessing I took from you, which the first blessing I got from my father, take it. I'm giving it to you. Hashem has given me grace, and I have everything. And he pestered Esau, and he took everything, and Esau took it. Now, what's interesting also is the rabbis point out, Esau says, he doesn't say I have everything. Esau says, I have a lot. I don't know everything. I have a lot. I want more. Whereas Yaakov says, I have everything. It's a big difference between it's a very interesting. And this is something which we say in our Birkat Amazon. Some one so small line of three words in the Birkat Amazon, which is based on this, this line in the parasha. Bakol mikol kol, we say in the, in the Birkat Amazon, bless us Hashem. Bakol mikol kol. So where do we find these words in the Chumash? And the answer is very simple. Bakol is found by Abraham Abinu. Hashem blessed Abraham. Bakol, bakol gematria ben is the gematria of the word ben, which is a son. Abraham Abinu has a son. That's bakol. He has everything. Yeah, Yitzhak Abinu be fine. He says, uh, he tells Esau. Bring me the venison we call. And that's where venison is, is linked to this idea of health. I'm healthy, have an appetite. 
bring me Nicole. And Nicole, that's health. And Kolom here is the key word of here, Kol. Yaakov, it says, to Esav, yesh I have everything. I have all the physical blessings I need. So we play, pray to God and become a zone. Bakol, Nicole, Kol, give us children, give us health, and give us physical wealth. Bakol, Nicole, Kol. So interesting over here, we find this difference between Esav and Yaakov. Esav has a lot, Yaakov has everything. And that's Pirkei Avot, Ashir, who is a wealthy person, Sameach Belko, is happy what he has. So Yaakov doesn't have everything, but he claims to have everything. What does that mean? He's satisfied what he has. He has Osher, he has this concept of he's satisfied. Sameach Belko, Yaakov is happy, he has everything. Yeah, Esau's not happy, yes. He has Rav, he has a lot, I have a lot. I have a lot, but I don't have everything. Yaakov is everything, and he's giving a lot of it away. So he still has everything. That is Osher with an Aleph. That's, there's two kinds of Osher. Osher with an Ayin, which is wealth, and there's Osher with an Aleph is happiness. Osher with an Aleph. So a person, we should bless each other that we have Osher with an Ayin, and Osher with an Aleph as well. So now just let me just end off this story. What happens is, Esav goes to Seir, and Yaakov goes to Sukkot. Interesting. Esav goes to Seir, which is uh, literally a goat. That's the name of his, his land. His Seir, hairy. He was hairy like a goat. And the goat, we knock off the cliff on Yom Kippur. It's interesting. And it has a bearing between Esav and the goat and the Esahara and the, the connection. We knock it off the cliff on Yom Kippur. Whereas Yaakov goes to Sukkot foreigner to our festival of Sukkot. He goes to the place called Sukkot, and he's after mitzvot again. Esau's after the sheep, the seir, the hairy ones, the goats, and the, and the sheep. And Yaakov's after Sukkot spirituality. He's getting back into the spiritual dimension, as we mentioned last week. His dreams of sheep in, in Haran. Now the angel says, go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dreaming about angels, now you're dreaming about sheep. Go back to Israel. But go back to your spiritual vocation. Okay, we'll stop here and bless you all. Bezran Hashem, Bakol, Nikol, Kol. May you all have a beautiful Shabbat, peaceful, restful, and secure and safe Shabbat. And uh, bless, bless you all from Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.